You've all heard the story, it's not what happens to you, it's how you respond to what happens. In this episode, we're going to take that to a next level. Let's go! Welcome to the Russell Westcott Podcast, helping real estate investors like you acquire the inspiration, knowledge, and skills that you need to start, grow, and scale the real estate investing portfolio of your dreams. Hey gang, how's it going? Russell Westcott here. So just <clears throat> sitting there going, my uh, let's go was a little bit off on the on the pitch there. So it's 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 very early in the morning when I'm recording this and haven't quite had the old uh, frog out of the throat yet. I should should be doing my vocal warm up exercises. So gang, hope you're doing your well. Hope you're having yourself a wonderful. Uh, you know, if you're from south of the border and you listen to this, you would have just had your. Uh, if I'm checking my notes first and foremost. This is episode 178, and it's coming out just after American Thanksgiving and the more important holiday, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, or as I, I call um, email cleanup list time. Holy macaroni, I've been spending this morning. I, I must have spent spend 20 minutes just deleting emails and going, holy Jesus, there's people that are reaching out to me that I haven't heard from for a while. And, uh, you know, we clean up the old email list at this time of year. And speaking of email, um, I actually just sent a note out to my database just a little while ago, and I'm here. You know what? I want to apologize. It had been the better part of almost a year since I last sent a note out, and I apologize for not having uh, constant uh, communication with you on email, but I'm making a commitment to clean that up, and I'm not going to say it's going to be every you know, it's not going to be just bombarding your in inbox. Uh, when there's something important, I will send something out your way. Plus, also, I'll drop, uh, maybe if you're interested, I can drop you a quick note uh, on um, when podcast episodes come out or new YouTube or new content or when I'm presenting in different areas. I just wanted to let you know that if you are interested in jumping on my email list, please let me know. Just send me a quick note at hello at russellwestcott.com and I will treat that with great respect and it would be nothing but just top-notch information, top-notch quality sent your way via the old inbox. All right, so jumping into this episode, <clears throat> this is a deep one. This is one of those ones, and I'm sitting there looking at um, when the, the team sent me back the audio files, and I was sitting there looking at it, and I go, geez, I, I really didn't say much in this episode, which is a, a really good thing, to be honest. Um, my guest here today shared an incredible story, shared an incredible story. Um, like, just imagine this. One day, you're just, you know, doing your work and doing your job, and you will get the story of what job um, my guest was doing and is doing. And then all of a sudden you get a, a call out to something. And then that call out turns into something that turns out to be extremely traumatic in your life. And how do you handle that? How do you bounce back from something that is extremely, you know, I'm not going to get into too many details, but extremely gruesome in many respects. And how do you continue to move forward? And not only that, how do you take something that might be deemed one of the, uh, a, tra a very big tra traumatic incident in your life, and how do you turn that into fuel to pivot you towards your destiny, towards your calling? In this episode, um, like I said, I really just shut up for a long period of time. And that's rare. And some of you are going, well, geez, Russ, you should shut up a lot more. You know, you talk way too much and let the guests, we want to hear from the guest. I hear you. 
I really do. But it's a conversation. And how do you have a conversation with two people and only one person's talking? That's a monologue, not a dialogue. But anyways, um, in this episode, I truly just kind of just sat back and just, I honestly was, uh, I don't know, I was in shock in some cases. I, I knew of what had happened. Um, but I did not have all the details. And in this episode, my guest, Mitch, um, shares in great detail the details. And uh, be prepared that if there are some sensitive ears or sensitive listeners out there, uh, you may want to just yeah, just be mindful that there are going to be some graphic um, things that are going to be described in, in this episode. And But here's the thing. Some of you might be saying, well, what does trauma and, you know, gruesome incidents have to do with being us being successful real estate investors? Well, I would hazard a guess it's everything because truly how you deal with life, how you deal with the setbacks, how you deal with being, you know, punched in the mouth. You know, the old uh, Mike Tyson quote is everybody has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. How do you deal with that once it happens? And do you use that as fuel to come back stronger? Does your mess become your message? Does your trauma become the new platform for what you grow and you build from? Does that become your new calling? All right. So I'm not going to get into too much more setup for this, but this is a deep one. I am truly honored to share this episode with each and every one of you. Please reach out to my guest and just tell them if this episode touched you and if it inspired you on to something great in your life. And with all that being said, ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome Mitch Hardington. All right, Mitch, how are you today? Welcome to the show. How are things, my brother? Oh, I'm fantastic. Um, it has been an amazing day and I'm so thankful for the opportunity to be here and to spend some more time with you. So thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's uh, anytime I get a chance to chat with you, Mitch, I, I feel like I'm a better person after because and, and, you know, I'm going to sorry if I'm going to get a little bromance going here really early in the call, but uh, but I'm a fan. I am a very big fan of who you are, how you show up, uh, what you do. And, and in life, you come across people that have it. I, and I don't know what it is. I wish I could bottle it and sell it. Or another way to put it is there's certain people in life that just have the X factor. That just factor of no matter what it takes, they're going to succeed. They're going to do well. They just have it. And you would be one of those people. There's, there's only a few people I've met in my life that have it and that X factor. And you are definitely one of those people. So... I, you know what, I, I'm trying not to blush right now. And I really appreciate that, but I, I can't contribute it to my own success. I have, have an amazing group of people around me. I have had the utmost help throughout my life. I have amazing mentors. Um, I've had the opportunity to work with you now for quite some time. And it's people like you who actually bring out the best in me. So I completely dedicate my my it, as you'll call it, to the people that I get to work with every day. So thank you. Well, you just proved my point because one of the qualifications of a person with the X factor is they are very humble and they don't take credit for, for themselves. They, they, but it is true. It is 100%. We are a factor of our environment. We're a factor of the people around us. But at the same time, you know, at, at times, give yourself some credit too. Like take, take right hand, Mitch, if you could take your right hand, put it on your left shoulder. And give you a couple pats on the back there, brother. So appreciate it. Thank you. 
Um, so, so here we are. We're, we're, what are we like 47 seconds in and, um, you know, under two minutes and we've got the, the bromance is strong within this, within this conversation as well. So, but, um, and I know a little bit about your story, um, as you and I've been working together, um, it's been coming out, but I think there's, there's an, an art, my audience would really like to hear a lot of your backstory because there is an incredible story here too. And not only that, as I don't even think I know it all yet, and I'm looking forward to this conversation to really unpack a lot of the things that have gone into your life in a short, you know, you're, you're in the early 30s. Is that correct, Mitch? Yeah, my early 30s. Yeah. And uh, you, you've lived a lifetime, haven't you? A couple of them almost. Yeah, I've done a lot of really cool things from real estate investing to uh, working in the police department, search and rescue, being a school teacher. Um, I've, yeah, I've done a lot of really cool things in a very short amount of time. So, okay. Hang on. You've just, you just prattled off three careers that you've already been involved with. Um, and you're in your early thirties. So like gang, I, I, we have an incredible opportunity here to, to really dive into the backstory here. And I think this is going to be one of the most inspirational tales you're going to hear. And you know, it's not all sunshine and roses and unicorn farts. Um, there's an awful lot of uh, challenging times that, sorry, I have to, because I made a joke, I actually have to, uh, <laughs> sorry, I have to do that. Or, or more so, it's more like, <laughs> that's usually my, my wife's, I, I have a button on my desk that has, looks like an eye roll. And that's, I visualize my wife doing an eye roll when I try to tell a joke, if you will. Right. So amazing. Yes. If um, you'd like, if you play that, I can continue to do that for you for the remainder of this time. Okay, good. <laughs> Appreciate that. <laughs> All right. So let's, let's just get right to it. Um, you, I know you have a, a pretty cool, when one of your earliest memories that you shared with me was way back and we have an affinity to, to Lego. Um, maybe mm-hmm. we start your story there and then we'll just unpack it as we go along, my friend. Yeah. So the oldest memory that I have of like happiness and joy in my life goes all the way back to basically my infant years. My dad and I have this affinity and this connection to Lego and it's the one thing that has always held us together and it's bonded us. So I think back to, you know, where my love and creativity for building started, it has to be from that spot. My dad every year and still to this day um, will try and send me one piece of Lego every year that he and I get to build together. And that stems off of when I was little, that's just the thing we got to do together. My dad and I would sit down and we would open a piece of Lego together in a box. And it started with him kind of showing me how to read the instructions and how to put things together. And then it moved into bigger pieces where now I got to start taking some of the control and I got to start building. And then as I got older, kind of through my early kids and a little bit even into my teenage years, my dad and I continued to build Lego. And there was an even a stretch in there where Lego was being built with super glue because my dad noticed that I was a little bit clumsy with my hands sometimes. So I would drop the piece of Lego and it would break and then I'd be sad and he'd have to help me put it back together again. And that has just continued from basically the earliest memories I have with my dad all the way through to today. It's still something that I do to kind of like my time. It's when I get to be creative. It's when I get to kind of disconnect from kind of what's going on in the world around me, just kind of go back to my humble beginnings um, and spending that time with my dad who's still alive to this day. And it's like, I love that we get to do this. I love that I still get to create the Lego and I get to send him a photo and he gets to call me and be like, oh, I love that one. I love how it turned out. That's so cool. And then when he comes and visits me, 
yeah, I get to show it to them and I actually have a, a place in my house where um, I'm hoping to keep it for as long as possible where I get to cycle in the odd piece of Lego as long as it matches the decor. So, so here's the thing is, gang, is, you know, you're never too old to be a little boy, right? Even as you go forward, you, you then pass on that, that um, you know, that love to, you know, down to your family when you, when the time comes for you and Danielle to have, have a family on your own, if you're able to, you're going to pass that love down. And, you know, it's never too late to, to uh, ever to just reconnect with that childlike building of things and that childlike creation. And it, it really comes down to it's a, a creative process. More than anything, it's I, I use a term called creating versus consuming, right? You're not consuming the Lego, you're creating with the Lego. It's not about, about the conquering, it's about the process of the creation of it there as well. So where did where were you born and raised, my friend? I was born and raised in Abbotsford, BC. Um, and one house, like I was a one house kid. We spent, I think, the first 28 years... 25 years of my life in the same house before I finally like moved out and moved on to kind of greater things in my life. And sometimes people are like, oh, you didn't move out sooner. I'm like, but how much money did I save compared to you? Yeah, it's amazing on how much when you're living at home still that, you know, I was, you know, unfortunately, I grew up in Saskatchewan and we had to leave when as soon as we graduated because there was nothing for us there. There was an entire lost generation. And also I knew the writing was on the wall. My graduation present from my parents was a, was a suitcase, not a traveling suitcase, suitcase, but I get the heck out of the house suitcase. Yeah. My parents had the rule as long as I was in university and going to school, I could stay for free. So kind of once that ended and I graduated university, it was like, okay, time to go, I guess. Yep. All right. So Abbotsford, BC, kind of a rural farming kind of, was it, was it in the farm or were you a town kid? No, we were a town kid. Uh, A lot of my friends were farm kids though. I've got some great memories of going out to the Esau farm and driving the quads around the farm and uh, catching chickens and crashing quads and breaking swing sets in half before hockey games. So yeah, I've got a lot of farm memories, but no, I was definitely a, like the suburbia kid. You were the townie, weren't you? You were, yeah. Yep. Oh yeah. They had, we had names for kids like you, but, but sorry, <laughs> I, as I joke, I was a townie myself too, as you know, but my town was not, uh, Abbotsford was a couple hundred thousand there for sure. I know my town was like 1500. And then my original town was under 275 type of thing. Oh yeah. yeah. No, we're definitely in the hundreds or where I don't know where we are anymore. Yeah. All right. So traditional family background school, did you excel at, uh, did you play lots of sports? What kind of, what kind of was, what you enjoyed through high school? And then, and then post that you kind of got into a, into a career pretty early on there out of, out of high school, didn't you? Yeah. So school never actually came super easy to me. I always found it to be a little bit challenging. Um, I was told early on, um, reading and writing wasn't my strength. So I was told that I would never amount to anything in school because I didn't know how to read out loud as fast as the other kids or write, um, you know, good paragraphs. So I was actually in a learning assistance class, um, for all of high school where I would go and take extra time to sit with like EAs and work one-on-one with them to actually get extra time for tests and actually proofread my work. Um, a huge shout out to my mom right here because she spent lifetimes teaching me skills and practices and how to do things that I now use today in my day-to-day life. But it wasn't something that was taught to me by my teachers. It 100% came from my mom and the extra help that they, they got for me. But very typical high school, graduated with honors, um, kind of a, a shake you fist at the system being like, oh, you can't do anything. And I was like, oh, I'll prove you wrong. I'll do it. 
So graduated with honors. Um, and then right out of high school, had the opportunity to start working part-time with a construction company that built high-end custom homes. I kind of did that on and off while kind of going to university like two days a week and working full-time for them three days a week. And that was kind of the first number of years of my um, fresh out of high school years. So I was working basically a 40-hour work week and going to school um, and a little bit of night school on the other two days and kind of doing the mix of both as I was learning this skill of construction while trying to stay in school so I could live at home for free. It was, it was the actual reason for it. Uh, well, you know, at the end said, of the day, I think you said something very, very poignant there. Sometimes the school system is not for everybody, right? The the reading, writing, arithmetic stuff. But but you managed and you had amazing parents that helped you through the process to manage to adapt and get through it. Um, I don't know if you've heard recently, and I uh, said something maybe we we chatted about, but Alberta, now you live in Calgary, is that correct? Just yes. for, for perspective yeah. now. Okay, so um, in Alberta, they have a proposal in place that they're going to have for kids that potentially after grade 10, you can apply and get a high school certificate and you can technically qual- graduate from grade 10. And then at that time, if you so choose and want to get into the trades, you can get into the trades at 17 and 18, as opposed to later on. And if you just know school isn't for you and you're just going to have to sit there for another two more years and just be frustrated and stuff like that, why not jump into the trades? Why not learn plumbing, learn electrical, learn construct, look carpentry, all that kind of stuff too. I think it's absolutely brilliant. And it might've been something that might've been beneficial to you at that time too. You know what? I don't know what my life would have looked like if that was available at the time. Because yeah, it might've been super interesting to me. It, I ended up not following through with that career path until later in life. So I ended up going to university, finishing my degree. I graduated with a, I don't know, on the Dean's list three something. I don't exactly remember what 3.2, just again, I'm a normal kid. Um, but in that time, I actually ended up working construction full time for, for quite a while. And I worked my way up through the construction company from day one where I was pushing brooms with them to learning a little bit about framing and then doing some finished carpentry to where near the end of my time there, I was actually doing a little bit of project management where I was working directly with the boss. We were, he was having me help quote jobs. He was helping me put to helping me or teaching me how to put together like estimate packages. I was running trades. I was being the middleman between him and the client and making sure that um, trades were on time and on schedule making sure ex, um, change orders were executed properly. And all of that was kind of over an eight-year period until one day he pulled me aside and said, hey, I think you got a lot of potential. And I think there's an opportunity for you here to actually grow into my company and take it over. And at that time, I think that's where if that schooling opportunity was a thing, I might have gone down that route, but I was a 20-something-year-old kid and I didn't really know what I wanted or what I wanted to do. And I had this education now. And I um, was like, well, my parents always taught me that you're supposed to go to school and get a good job and get one with a pension and, you know, kind of playing through those formative years. And I have all the love and respect for my parents. And I feel like that's what I was supposed to do. But then I have this other person telling me that I'm supposed to potentially take over this incredibly successful construction company at such a young age and kind of work towards that. I ended up quitting. I said, hey, I, let me think about it. And after a few weeks, I ended up resigning from him and I went into full-time uh, teacher school and I did that for a year. And then that's what took me out of the lower mainland and the start of kind of the start of the journey that I've been on since 2017. Oh, wow. So that, that's not a ter- 
typical journey as you started there, you had an opportunity to be into the, into the entrepreneurial space a little bit. And then from there, you, you had that, um, you know, you, you then not, I'm not saying back you just, you, you pivoted a hard pivot into, into teaching and education and, and things like that. And, and now that's, that's not a typical journey. And you're, you're like, I, I'm not surprised you're not a typical guy, but at the same time that what was the, what was the, the, um, really, was there something that inspired you or just something that you thought you needed to do at that time? You know what? It was definitely my old programming because I thought I needed to, to do a job with a, 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 that had a, you know, good pay and a pension. I thought that's what I had to do. But the fire inside of me told me that I should be doing something else. It was like, you should be following through with construction. You should be building houses. You should be expressing that like creative piece that I have inside of me. But there was definitely that fear and fear is what overrode me to not go down that path. I had all the opportunities. My parents were going to support me. Um, I once tried to pitch a business plan to them and my dad was like, hey, this sounds great, but I need a business plan. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. So then I ended up taking some back in the university. I took a whole bunch of business courses, learning about how to you know run a business and management. And yeah, it was just fear. The fear of like, uh, this is scary. I'm going to do what my parents did and become a school teacher because I know that and it's safe. And I have no regrets because I think re regret is, it's putting like a negative light and a negative connotation on something because I am who I am today because of my past experiences. It has made me who I am. And I don't think that, you know, changing that, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you right now. I think it'd be a completely different set of circumstances. Yeah. Now, I, I believe, and just knowing a little bit about you, is you, you entered into that profession with the attitude of, uh, what am I going to get as a skill set? What am I going to build towards? It's not a, you know, it's something you chose to do. It's something you want to do. But at the same time, it's like, this maybe is something that I need to build a skill set around. How do I deliver a lesson to a group of what, 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 what classes did you teach and what, what, uh, what grades? Yeah, I taught grade seven middle school. Okay. Uh, so the first year I taught grade eight and I taught math, science, BE. The second year I taught grade five as a generalist. And then the final year I taught grade seven kind of as a generalist, but we mixed together and I, again, kind of did more math, science and PE and we kind of co-taught for some of the English, but you're hundred percent right. It was never... In my first year of teaching, I knew this is not where I meant to be. This is, I'm learning a skill set here and I'm learning something that's going to benefit me later down in life. And I don't know what that is yet, but I, I'm here to, to do the best possible job that I can. Um, which is funny because in my first year of teaching, actually, I got a full-time contract. I completely skipped the substitute teacher thing. I walked in, I substitute teachered for, I think, officially two weeks. And then I was in a full-time contract. And then the next year I was in a full-time contract. And then after that, I had a permanent position in year three. I had a permanent position that was mine until I, I didn't want it anymore. So, um, which, where, where was that at? So that was in Penticton. So okay. that was at the end of, um, the, the, the living at home thing. I was like, okay, it's time to move. And I moved out to Penticton and that's kind of where things started to change for me. But like what? Say what? So that's, uh, in Penticton is where I started. I started my journey as a school teacher. Um, at the same time I, I joined search and rescue. And search and rescue, I did a lot of really cool things with. I was a, a ground search team leader. I was on the administrative team in, in charge of um, gear. Um, I became a swift water rescue swimmer. So I'd actually jump into rivers to go save people. Or um, sometimes the 
the ugly truth of if you're, you're in a river and you get stuck, it's, you know, you, you're not really there at the end. So it was more about providing closure for, for families. And just the amount of things that I learned in that short amount of time steered me into a different, into a different direction. Like I learned how to work with a team. I learned about overcoming adversity. I learned about um, how to present and speak and accept feedback because I don't know who you are or where you are. If you've ever dealt with kids before, whether as a parent or as a school teacher, you know that those middle school kids in that those formative years, they don't hold back. If they didn't like something, they're going to tell you point blank, Mr. Harnington, that sucked. And you're like, okay, well, thank you for the feedback. <laughs> and at the same time, I'm doing search and rescue where I'm having to like stay up throughout the night as I'm searching for lost hikers or I'm helping the RCMP do an evidence search or I am going down to a river somewhere because there's somebody stranded on an island and the only way to get to them is you got to swim out to them and then help them swim back. So all of these life experiences and all of these journeys are kind of all happening at the same time. And it really steered me towards wanting to help and serve uh, in a different way. And I always knew that service was something that's been very true to me and very near and dear to my core. I'm, I've always been about helping people and I get the most joy out of life when I actually help people accomplish something. And it, more importantly, when they accomplish something that is important and inspiring to them. Wow. So, so you were teaching in Penticton and I 100% great that age, that age of seven. So that'd be like 12, 13 year old boys and yeah. girls and kids. That's a very informative year on. And I, I remember some of the most important teachers I had were during that time frame of, of that. Mm -hmm. And, um, so was there something, was there kind of like a little inspiration or was it just that you were called to the service to do of the search and rescue and that kind of thing? Or was there something that just kind of kicked in and you just said, you know, was it, was it a girl that you were, a girl was in it and you were trying to, <laughs> I'm just teasing obviously, but what, yeah, what kind of, what was the calling really? The calling to search and rescue. So I always had a lifelong dream uh, early on. I thought that I wanted to, to be a police officer. And when I first applied, they said, no, get more life experience. I was like, okay, so that's, you know, part of the reason I became a school teacher. Um, and then when I was in Penticton, just, I saw a poster one day. It was like Penticton Search and Rescue, hire or looking for volunteers. I was like, hey, this kind of fills that niche of like, let's do something a little bit more on that side of service. It kind of spoke to my adrenaline side a little bit more. It spoke to the ability to, I was like, hey, if I learn how to do this skill, it's really going to teach me how to work under pressure work under conflict because sometimes in those situations like I think of a story where I went and I assisted with a, a dirt biker who crashed into a tree and it literally blew up his hip it's like time is of the essence and you're under pressure but you still have to perform your job perfectly or things happen so that job really um, or I guess volunteer experience really taught me how to work under pressure but like within a cohesive group yeah. to make sure that your outcome is of a high standard. Yeah. And, and you have just probably in you as, you know, I, I often say quite often is, you know, if there was ever a burning building, there's, there's a certain group of people that will run away. There are a certain group of people that might call 911. And there's a certain group of people that will run in, try to save people. Yeah. You would be in the third camp, I would imagine. Yeah, definitely in the third camp. And yeah. that's coming up in part of my story. I actually end up transitioning to that. Yeah. But so before, before you, before I you go there a second, I just wanted to just, first of all, thank you. Thank you for that part of your story. And I know we're, we're going to get really deep into, into, into the next phase here. And, and it's, it's amazing what life challenges of, of learning those skills and skill set. And I'm going to date this a little bit. I just actually had something last night that came over 
through Facebook, a friend of mine, like a, one of my best friends in high in, in elementary school and high school and stuff like that. His, uh, he lost his son and his brother and his brother lost his daughter yesterday or on Saturday because they fell through some ice out in Saskatchewan and the brother and his son went in to try to save and they, they didn't come out. So it's, um, these skill sets and this, you know, this, um, you just never know what can happen in life at any, at any one time. And, and one minute, you know, someone's playing out on some ice and the next minute you're jumping in the water to try to save. And, and, you know, after that, your best friend from elementary school is posting that he lost his son and lost his brother all in the same day. Right. So it's kind of crazy. So, so you, what, what was the kind of, you, you transition your school teaching, you're doing some search and rescue, you were doing that. What was kind of the transition from there? So the transition from that was actually I left Penticton and I went back to Abbotsford um, as a school teacher. Um, and that nexus kind of happened when one of my lifelong childhood friends uh, called me up one day and said, hey, Mitch, are you still interested in getting into the police department? And I said, yeah, I'm definitely interested. And he said, well, now's the time. Like we are hiring a bunch this year. So if you're truly serious about it, um, it's time to, to fill up that application and, and really give it a, a good solid effort to try and get hired. And, uh, it, I, I got hired, which is still to this day. I was like, really, you picked me like, like, thank you. But you know, I, 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 it's, it's one of the accomplishments of my life that I'm still very proud of because I got hired into a, a department that only generally hires about three to five people a year. Um, when I was going through the process and I got hired in six months. So from the time I put my application in until the time I started was six months, which in the scope of policing is actually a very short amount of time to get hired. Usually, you know, you talk to people and they will wait up to two years to try and get hired or their process just takes that long where, um, again, I, it was six months and I was there and I was moving and it was like, whoa, life is changing really fast right now. And that was also right around the same time where I started my what I didn't know at the time was my real estate investing journey um, to start purchasing properties. At the same time, I'm going through this massive move where I'm now moving from the Okanagan to back to the lower mainland. I've got a house that is now becoming, um, or an apartment that's now going to become my first rental and learning how to manage rentals and all that all happening at the same time where, yeah, the academy is exhausting. You don't really have time to yeah. do a lot of things. So, And is Abbotsford is city police? It's not the RC? Yeah, I was city police. So, and and where is the depot? Do they have a depot and a training in Abbotsford or where is the training? No, so you got to go out to the Justice Institute of BC, which in is New out in New West. Yeah. So every morning, I think I woke up at 4.30 to get carpool with three other people from Abbotsford who all got hired. And we went in and out every day. So up at 4.30 or 5, I can't remember exactly what it was. Go for the eight to nine hours of schooling, come back, do homework, go to bed, repeat Monday to Friday, five days a week. Saturday, you kind of got homework and Sunday, you're like, I am alive. <laughs> and how long is the how long is the program when you're doing in that in, within that process? Six months. Six months. Six months of classroom, and then three months of like field training. Yeah, and and you know we can probably have a conversation, and I know you probably have some thoughts about that. But to you know, I, I from an outsider looking in of somebody who hasn't gone through the process, that doesn't sound like enough. That that's just my own personal opinion for somebody who's going to be handling firearms and you know <laughs> handling life and death situations and stuff like that. It doesn't it doesn't sound like enough. That's just my own thought process. What's your what's yours on that? Yeah, I don't. I it's tough because you can only learn so much in a classroom situation, and I agree that it's not enough. But you know, when else do you get 
the unlimited range time. So I feel like coming out of the academy, I knew how to work a computer. I could shoot it. I could, I was fairly competent with a firearm because you have to be like, there's certain standards you have to fall within. But like in terms of like dealing with mental health and dealing with the addiction, an opiate crisis we have right now, dealing with, you know, actual people, you don't learn any of that in the academy. So you're there for six months and you're punted out with a field trainer. You're like, I don't know what I'm doing. Oh boy. <laughs> here's your car and here's your partner. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, good, good luck. And after three months, he's going to leave you and then you're by yourself and you're like, and then, and then oh, you, no. and then you're the partner for the next person with nine months of training, right? Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a wild, it's a wild learning experience, but yeah, it definitely should be longer, but I don't have the answers no, as to I, how to do that. Like, like I said, I, I'm, I'm a, a tourist. I'm not a resident of that. I don't understand. I'm not fully in that, but it just does. It does sound like it would be, but at the same time, it's, you know, there's time and cost and there's a shortage of it and not everybody wants to be in it. And it's, yeah. it's, it's high, high stress on a, in a lot of respects. So, okay. So you were stationed in Abbotsford. Um, yeah. How long were you in that? And uh, give us the story about what it was like being a, a police officer out in Abbotsford. Or did you no. get transferred around or what, what happened? Nope. I was in Abbotsford. I was there for just under two years, like just shy a tiny bit. So didn't spend a, a, too much time there and ended up, um, I ended up getting hurt on the job. I hurt my low back um, and just got some really not great medical advice from uh, a few different doctors and some kind of circumstances in life had changed. So I ended up moving um, back to Penticton because my ex at the time, her father was going through some heart problems. So he wasn't doing uh, too well. And really, he owned a, an HVAC company. So he gave us the opportunity to, to move to Penticton to take over his company. And that was kind of my first real, um, you know, how do I, how do I word it? I, I wasn't plunged into entrepreneurship, but I was, I was. It was sink or swim. He was having these heart conditions where he's like, I can't work. I can't be here. My ex and I at the time were like, okay, well, you know, policing isn't really working out for me right now because the doctors are telling me if I ever want to hold my kids again, I can't do the job, which in hindsight, 2020 was horrible, horrible medical advice. And I've learned a whole bunch from that situation because as you can see today, I'm totally fine and normal and actually stronger and better than I was back then. But so yeah, we moved into, we moved back to Penticton and I took over this HVAC company and uh, um, was told, Hey, run the company, the two of you, you're going to be in charge of all the sales and marketing and the organizing of the equipment and ordering it and scheduling the guys. And my ex was going to give it a whole different set of responsibilities. And now I was at the helm of this multi-million dollar, um, HVAC company being like, Oh boy, this is sink or swim. I have a lot to learn in a very short amount of time. So we did that for, uh, about a year. And then from that point, I was like, Hey, um, this isn't what I wanted to do with my life. I didn't want to be in the HVAC realm. I, I wanted to be doing something else. So the natural tr uh, transition was I went back to policing in September um, of 2021. And uh, yeah, kind of re-fell in love with the job. But again, crazy circumstances have unfolded from that, which has really shed the light on me being like, hey, you need to take your construction skills, these things that you learned for eight years, you need to take your fix and flip skills and your uh, rentals that you kind of did along the way. You need to take that and you need to combine it into a business where you're actually a full-time real estate investor. And that's kind of the journey I've been on for the last year as I've been learning how to start my real estate business and kind of molding it into um, the potential that it has today. Okay. To So you went back into to uh, law enforcement in 
September 2021. Was I? Did I hear that yeah, correct? Calgary, okay. September of in 2021. Calgary. So you you relocated out to Calgary. Um, yeah. And obviously, as we're having a conversation, you're not in policing. You're not in law enforcement at the moment, are you not? No, uh, technically, but no. Okay. What, what happened? Uh, so in January um, of 2023, I went to a call. Um, and I'll give you the overview. And if you want more detail, I'll, I'll give it to you. But I just don't know how much kind of detail to go into. Well, we'll just go into whatever whatever you feel comfortable sharing. And okay. we'll unpack as, much, as, unpack as much as we need. To. I, I Sometimes the nuance, the, de- the, the detail is, is important. So, Yeah. So viewer discretion is advised then. <laughs> okay. Okay. Viewer discretion is advised. Okay. I, I, I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. I'll give you, the, I'll give you the, the tier two version of the story. Um, so I was out and I was working by myself because my normal partner was uh, field training a new person uh, on on a, a night in January 2023. And the dispatcher came over the phone and said, we have a 911 call in, in this area. Um, and all we have on the phone is a female who is screaming and something about blood. And we have managed to get an address, but we have no other information. And I was on my way to a mental health call and I was like, oh, that sounds serious. I hope someone jumps on that quick because to me, I was like, well, I'm already going to a mental health call. That's fairly important. Um, I, you know, I, I shouldn't divert for this. But then there was just radio silence and, and I kind of, we, ha- we have access to the entire city map. We can see who's doing what. Uh, we can see, you know, where the call is in relation to where we are. And I pulled up the map and it was less than two blocks away. Like it was right around the corner from where I was. And I kind of looked at what everybody else was doing and everybody else was on calls that were important and there wasn't really anybody free. So I kind of weighed out the pros and cons and I said, hey, I'm going to, I'll jump on this call because I'm right there and it, something isn't right. Um, so as I aired that to divert me, the dispatcher said, um, sounds good. I'll send it to your screen. And then they said, we have no other information. All we are getting is, is screaming and something about blood. I was like, okay, I'll go. So I pull up to this house at about just kind of before midnight, um, knock on the door and n- no answer. At this point, I'm starting to freak out. I'm like, okay, this is not normal. This, for a call like this, like, am I in the wrong area? Like, has something happened? Like, I need to probably get into this house as soon as possible. So I'm banging on the door and I'm looking through windows and there's only one kind of dimly lit lamp kind of somewhere in a back corner of the house. So I'm like, okay, well, there's might be somebody home, but I don't know. And my partner was coming to the call because he jumped on being like, hey, I'll go back Mitch up because he's got nobody. Um, and then kind of right as he arrives, this lady opens the door with a phone to her ear, dressed in a, like, a, like a pink kind of suit and says, just start screaming. And I'm like, okay, something bad has happened. I don't really know what's happening yet, but something bad has happened. So I kind of just like push her out of the way. And as I start making my way through the house, just kind of like, trying to figure out what's happening again. I'm like, this is blood. I don't know what's going on. And she's kind of pointing to a direction. I, I walk into the bathroom and in the bathtub in her bathroom, her husband is, um, well, I learned later is her husband. He has decided to try and take his own life with a box cutter. So he took a box cutter and he slit um, like a two or three inch slit on the side of his neck. And he was, there's just blood everywhere. And there was blood in the sink. It was going down the drain. It was over the walls. And I was like, that is, that's a problem. We need to do something about that. Um, so as I kind of go up to him and I'm looking and I'm fully expecting him to, to be deceased, he was not. He was alive. His eyes were open. He was looking at me. He was making noises. And I was like, oh, this person's alive. So I immediately got on the radio and just asked for help. I'm like, I need medical people here like yesterday. And then 
kind of going back to my basics of first aid, it's like, well, what do I do? So I start feeling around and I find this, this laceration that's on his neck and I see that it's still like oozing blood. So I take my hand and I start feeling around. And I kind of work my way down into his neck and I find an artery that I can feel is pulsing and I can feel the liquid coming out of it. And I pinched it. And that then stopped the bleeding coming out of the wound. And then from there, you know, we do the medical things like pack it, check for secondary injuries. But I, from this point for the next 45 minutes, have my hand inside of somebody's neck, putting pressure on an artery, trying to prevent them from dying. And it was like that from that moment until we got to the hospital where I handed him over to a trauma doctor and the trauma doctors took him into surgery. And I was told later that apparently he made it to the ICU. But, you know, from that point on, I, I really don't know what happened. But that's kind of the story, which leads into. Um, I took I took the rest of the night off and I took the night off after because it was night shifts. Um, kind of took some time, went and saw my therapist right away. I was like, hey, I need to see you ASAP. I just did some wild stuff. I need to talk about it for sure because something's going to come up. And nothing really came up right away. It wasn't until a couple months later where I started not being able to sleep. I'd go to bed and I'd wake up in a sheer panic. I would wake up, my heart rate would be like exploding out of my chest. I'd be in my room being completely pitch black and I wouldn't be able to like come to until I was able to get out of my bedroom um, and find or find a light source. And that was the only thing that kind of brought me back to being normal again because I knew what I was doing. Like I knew like I was not like, I knew I was safe, but I had no control over my body. Like my body was like, we need to find safety. And I, I would try and tell myself, no, we're, we're safe. Like we're okay, but absolutely no control of what was happening to me until I would be able to either turn a light on or get out of my bedroom. And kind of in through that, it really, like my mental health kind of declines into where I was not sleeping like nights in a row like it was getting to like almost every single night so then my therapist was like hey you're done for a while we're gonna pull you off the street um and that was kind of my exit of policing where um that's i I, how do i word it it took it was a lot for sure and it took me some time to kind of get over the hump of let's get sleep normal again and let's kind of get your life back on track but kind of once that started happening um, it was like, okay, well now we're, what are we going to do? Cause life is never going to look the same again. Um, like I still have some stuff that I have to deal with from time to time, but it's not like it, it doesn't affect me on the day to day anymore. It's just like, okay, well this is just who I am and this is what I do, but how do I take my circumstance and how do I take what I've been, the cards that I've been dealt and, you know, turn into something that is beneficial, not only to me, to society and kind of two things emerge from that one is talking about my story and promoting PTSD and mental health. And the other is my um, real estate journey. It really has exploded over the last while where it's become this thing that I see the light of the tunnel where it's like, this is the end of the J-O-B for me. This is, this is the light out. This is putting all of the things that I love to do, the creation, the building, the working with people, being in a team, having a little bit of stress, but being able to work underneath it and helping people achieve their dreams. It's really encompass it all together in this package that I wouldn't have expected. I wouldn't have expected trauma and PTSD to have transformed my life in the way that it it did, but there's totally light at the end of the tunnel. (laughs) As you're telling that story and gang, if you're, if you're on my podcast and you're a regular listener, it's very rare that you hear me shut up for that long of a time. I had this, I had this pit in my stomach. I was, I was, I was feeling extremely anxious. I was uh, even, and I just sit there and I go, 
we're hearing this story two, almost three years later, and it's you know, I have it has an impact. And if you're listening to this, it probably is having an impact on you. Just imagine how it would impact you if you were at that routine call that night, and then you're leaving out in a, on a stretcher with somebody there, and you have his 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 artery in your hand, and you're the only thing standing between him and life and death. In, in many respects, I don't mean to be over dramatic or, or any of that kind of stuff, but that truly is what it, it was, was it not? Yeah, it was. It was one of those those wounds where if if I hadn't have done what I had, and even to this day, I try not to take credit for it because you know I'm just I keep saying I'm just a guy who who did a job that day, but it's true, and I have to. It was part of my healing process was to recognize that if I didn't do what I did that night, he would have died in that bathtub, like he'd be dead, and there there would have been no chance to save his life. Did he? Did he? Has he passed? Did he pass or did he? Did he survive? You know what? I, I never actually knew a couple. Okay. I've talked to a couple people who told me that he did survive. He okay. made it out of the ICU and he, or he made it out of surgery into the ICU. And a couple people have told me that uh, they believe that he has survived. But I, it wasn't anything that I ever wanted to necessarily know the outcome of because in my mind and part of my healing process is I created a scene being like he lived. Um, and that's just what my brain believes because that's just the, the route that we work through with therapy, just alternating the ending that no matter what happened, no matter the outcome, that I, what I did that day was the best that I could have possibly done in the circumstances that I was given. And the outcome isn't my responsibility or something that I have to hold on to because I didn't make the choices. I, I just did what I thought was best. Wow. And yeah, I can totally understand how that can really impact. If, you, if you've, guys, I, and, and I'm not here to profess, or neither of us are here to profess that we're, you know, we're, we know everything about our, the brain or mental health. Please, disclaimer, go see a, prof a professional if you need help with these kind of stuff. I, we're just unpacking a real story that happened, and you've been through this. And I'm not here to profess that we know exactly <laughs> the inner workings of the mind, but I would imagine to help you cope with it, you, you had to create a scenario of, and here's the story, and here's how it, it turned out. Yeah. And that was, it's really important to, I'll echo what you said. Like if you're going through something, like you need to reach out and you need to get the help because I'm a huge advocate of mental health help now, like therapy and, you know, working through trauma is super important. The last thing you need to do is hold on to it because I did that not knowing and look what it did to me. It ended up like ruining my sleep and, you know, putting me in all kinds of crazy health conditions. But everyone's story is different. Like I know, like through talking through my therapist that some people have to create an alternate ending and some people need to know exactly what happened because it's mm -hmm. just dependent on the person and the closure that, you know, the way that they're wired and their upbringing, their nature, nurture requires that everybody is different. And that's why it's so important to go get help. Wow. Okay. So that's coming on three years coming up uh, very soon. I would, uh, so it was 2021. So yeah, we're coming on three years in that. Um, you were pulled off the force and you've, um, you know, you've gone through a, a process of the healing and the post-traumatic stress syndrome and stuff. What have, what have you learned about yourself during this whole uh, process that you're going through? Have you learned something deeper about yourself, deeper of life? Are we going to, you know, I, I, I'm totally fine if, if we need to go into the woo-woo here. You know, I'm, I'm totally, yeah. you know, I'm a firm believer is the woo-woo is important, but you have to match woo-woo with the work at the same time. Mm -hmm. But but what have you discovered about yourself during this whole process? There's been a few really important things that I have learned. The first is that you can have, be, or do anything you want. Um, you're not limited to what people say about you. You're not limited to the shoebox that people put you in. 
at the end of the day, the only person that you're really accountable to is yourself. And for me, living a life that is meaningful to you is what's the most important. So for me, knowing that, yes, I did policing and yes, I kind of did it twice, but you know, that was meaningful in that time of life. But what brings me the most amount of joy is the journey that I've been on the last little while in terms of like creation and building and real estate. That's what, like when I do that, I, I get excited in the morning when I wake up and do that. And if I would have lived in the shoebox that some of my teachers told me where you're not going to mount anything or you should go get a secure job because it has a pension. If I would have lived on that, um, that train track, I wouldn't be living authentically to myself. So that experience really pushed me to, hey, you know, life is short and unexpected. Um, you should be living a life that every morning when you wake up, you're excited and every bed your day, you're excited to go to bed because it means you get another opportunity tomorrow to wake up and do what you love to do. Wow. So, and I'm not just here to play armchair therapist in any way, shape or form, but there's been a couple themes that you've unpacked a couple times with when you went into teaching, you, you thought you were doing somebody that somebody else wanted you to do. You thought you went, when you went into the law enforcement, thought somebody else, somebody else's box for you or vision for you. And no. it took a, um, a very deep and profound, um, incident and trauma to really kickstart you into your, your path and your calling on what you want to do. Now that, that's pretty, pardon my language for a second, but that's pretty fucking scary to now get into who the hell am I? Like that, I, I, I have those conversations all the time is what the hell do I want to do when I grow up at the same time? But, <laughs> but that's pretty, pretty scary, a scary place. And I'm not trying to put fear in anything. It might be scary, but also at the same time might be liberating at the same time. So how do you feel about that? I sure hope you're enjoying this episode. Before we jump back to the conclusion, our strategic partners from Streetwise Mortgages are here with another important mortgaging tip. All right, take it away, Dahlia. Hi, I'm Dahlia, founder of Streetwise Mortgages, and today we're going to talk about private money and how it can help you as a real estate investor uh, fund your project and what to watch for and how this money is different from other types of money that you can access as an investor. So private mortgages are essentially mortgages that are also secured against uh, the property you're buying or the property you're refinancing. And they can also uh, extend to other properties that you have if needed for what's called a cross collateral, which helps you obtain a higher loan amount. Uh, for private mortgages, the market has picked up quite a bit since the interest rates have started increasing in Canada because qualifying with traditional lenders has become um, more challenging as the rates went up and the stress test bar continued to rise uh, on the residential side. So investors are tapping into private money these days to um, sometimes get um, breathing room, believe it or not, when it comes to their monthly payment. We are seeing some investors uh, switch from principal and interest payment uh, with a B lender, let's say, to an interest-only payment uh, with a private mortgage because uh, despite the higher rates, um, interest-only payments can give such a breathing room. We're also seeing investors use this type of money or they're looking to acquire a property that uh, a traditional lender does not want to touch because of its condition or because of its location. Uh, investors also tap into this type of money uh, if they're looking to renovate and 
some lenders on the street can um, also provide a renovations loan through private funding. So it's uh, a type of money that is accessible uh, pretty much to everyone. You just need to be careful about who you're getting this money from and read the fine print that comes with it. Uh, private money is more expensive than any other type of money. Uh, the rules uh, are not as uh, defined compared to traditional lenders. So you always have to pay attention to the mortgage approval or the mortgage commitment that you're getting. You want to pay attention to the lender fees charge, the broker fees charge, the renewal fees, the renewal conditions. Uh, you want to pay attention to all administrative fees sometimes that are embedded in the mortgage commitment. Um, you don't want to get caught with high fees on renewals. And um, uh, the beauty about private mortgages is that they're also negotiable. You can uh, negotiate, for example, adding any fees to the loan. That's what's called counting the fees. Or you can uh, negotiate the frequency of the payment. The payment doesn't necessarily have to be every month. You can uh, potentially negotiate a quarterly payment or an annual payment. I've seen that happen. Uh, you can also negotiate uh, deducting the interest from the loan if there is enough in the deal. So I just wanted to uh, let you know that we're seeing an increase in the use of private money, but I want you to pay attention to the fine print and also very, very, very importantly, understand and validate your exit strategy. Uh, going to uh, a broker or coming to us and indicating that you're going to flip the property or refinance it is not um, a firm exit. Let me put it this way. We have to run the numbers and make sure that we plan for the worst case situation. If that property does not sell in time, for example, and you need to hold it, what does that look like? If you're going to refinance it upon the completion of your project, will you actually get the 80% that you think you will get at a 30-year amortization with the lender that you think you're going to qualify with? These are all things we have to validate. I highly, highly suggest you go through that exercise because you don't want to be in a situation where the loan is up for renewal and the private lender um, decide that they want out because the market has changed or you're getting, um, you know, uh, charged uh, exuberant fees to stay in the deal. Um, at Streetwise Mortgages, we have expanded our private money practice and we are helping investors right now utilize that type of money effectively to either write this new cycle that we're in or to continue to grow their portfolios. We're lending across Ontario at 80% loan to value at fair pricing and we will help you validate your exit strategy and not leave it as an assumption or a theory. So if you're looking to explore private money, reach out to us at info at streetwisemortgages.com. Um, I totally agree. At the start of the process, it was extremely terrifying. It was, it was very scary. It was like, man, I'm trying on, or I'm on this journey now to discover who I am and what it is I want. That's interesting because Mitch has never really done that before. He's always had moments of doing what he wants and living out and doing the best that he can, but it was never really about Mitch and what Mitch wants. I was all, I, I have this tendency in my life where I would do what I wanted within the realm of what other people thought I was good at or what other people thought I was 
capable of. And now kind of going through that experience, it's like, man, I did that. I can literally do anything. Like, like, oh, okay. Like stress to me has a completely different meaning now. It has a completely different um, like connotation to my life. The way I look at life is completely different now. And it's, it's unfortunate that my story had to have that trauma in it to, to do that, but it doesn't necessarily have to. It's just, it's about living authentically to you. Yeah, that, that's, that's, wow, very, very profound. And, um, you know, and I, I sit here and I'm, I'm going as sometimes people that have, and, and the reason I'm saying this is because this, I'm looking at myself in the mirror when I say this, is people of service and people that have a little bit of a people pleaser um, background and a, a, a high need for people pleasing within them. And I'm looking at myself when I say that is, um, is, is one of the hardest questions to answer is, so what do you want? What do you mean? What do I want? What do you want? I, we're going to help f- f- fulfill it. I'm solving your problem. We're solving this. We're going to go do this. And you, you feel you get your purpose from helping and serving others, which is, you know, we, we need lots of that in this world. We 100% do. But at the same time, if all you do is people please and all you do is try to help others, but you actually don't help yourself, you, you, you live a life that's very unfulfilled all at the same time. So Man. big question here that I'm going to ask, and it's a simple question, but it's, and it's almost like, um, are you a Star Trek fan? No, Star Trek? I haven't watched it. Yeah. yeah I, have, well, I haven't watched the old ones, but the new ones. Yeah. So there was a, there's a famous scene in Star Trek when, when Mr. Spock actually died and he came back to life in another thing and he was being trained to be a Vulcan, but he's part human, part Vulcan. And there was a question that came up to, to Mr. Spock. And the question was, how do you feel? And Mr. Spock goes, I don't understand the question. Like he didn't understand the question. It's not meant to be a trick question or whatever, but it's, it's a simple and profound question. Um, what do you want? What do you want to accomplish next? What is next for Mitch? What's next for There's you? Don't, don't, uh, and, and I know you're going to, you're going to lean into helping others and stuff like that, but let's, let's, let's try, let's try this on. Just try it on. I know it's going to be uncomfortable. Um, what do you want? What does Mitch personally want? Yeah, that's fun because what Mitch wants is, uh, uh, I want to wake up every single morning with the feeling of, I love the life that I created. I, I love what I, I have done. I love what I do. And I am excited to go out and do that every day. So in the context of like my life right now, that is building the real estate empire that, that, that I'm working on, on creating, because to me, it not only brings me joy, I love doing it. I love getting out of bed for it. But at the same time, it still checks off the box of I get to help people. I get to help people who want to invest in real estate and I help, get to help them build their, their nest egg or their cushion or their empire. But to me, I'm, I'm very much the person who um, I strive to be the best that I can at everything. And I strive to be, to be like the go-to person or the known person. And where I am right now, it's like, that's what I'm striving towards. I'm striving to be the person, like, for example, like, like you one day where people are coming to you and like, Hey, I'd love to be on your podcast. I'd love to, to work with you on jobs. I'd love to learn from you. Like that is what I am striving towards. And I'm, I'm getting there one. How, how do you push? I'm, I'm pushing the peanut every day. Yeah. Well, it's sometimes <laughs> funny. I just heard an acronym today. Um, it's called hope H O H O P E help one person every day, like as a, yeah. as a, as a starting point. And, um, I, I said, you know what, I actually stopped my walk to write that one down. I, I love that one, but it, 
And, and we're not trying to be weird here and referring to ourselves in third persons and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, this is a very deep and profound um, conversation. And, and I'm a firm believer in who you become in the process of real estate is more important than the actual real estate that you ever will buy. Um, if you buy millions and billions of dollars, but you become a jerk and all that kind of stuff in the process, then, then you know, really, what's the point? But if you acquire uh, a, a nest egg and a portfolio of properties, and at the same time, you become a really good person that helps inspires others, and you share, let my story help help you pro, uh, move forward, that is, is inspiring as heck. And, and you know, I, I've been sleeping at the switch here, my brother. It's like you've been just bringing the fire here, and we've just been... We've been uh, dropping bombs left, right, and center. And um, yeah. it's funny, I have to be mindful, I guess, with what's going on in the world about dropping bombs. I guess yeah. I have to be a little bit mindful about that. But okay, so we're going we're gonna to transition the conversation here a little bit, but, um, but I don't want to not acknowledge and thank you for sharing what you just shared. That is a very um, difficult conversation, and I know you're starting to share it more. Um, you're getting out through some encouragement and getting out onto other people's podcasts and sharing your yep. story is because it does have some deep and profound messages for people. It truly does. So shifting gears into that, you're now, uh, you know, a real estate investor. Uh, what's, what's kind of, uh, keeping, what's kind of got your attention and what are you doing within the real estate world at the moment, my friend? Now I, I'm going to, this next conversation about real estate could be a next part and we'll, we'll schedule a next conversation for you and I. Um, I, I love telling the stories of people over time and Mitch, yeah. we're going to commit to over maybe once a year minimum, we're going to connect again and we're going to do another episode just as an FYI. Love it. Okay. So the love question it. is, where are you transitioning? What are you looking at for within real estate? What's kind of, what's got your, your, uh, your flame ignited? So my flame has totally been ignited by new construction, multifamily properties. And for a few different reasons, one, because I'm going back to my roots, I'm going back to Lego and that process of creation where you get to start with something old, you get to tear it down and then you get to open your box of Lego and you get to look at the instructions and you get to create something totally new. So going back to that, kind of honing in on my years of building those, those custom homes um, kind of honing in on my little bit of experience from doing a little bit of fix and flips and the lessons that I learned along the way through that about markets and how to make sure you have cash flow and all of that. And I'm really focused in and I am uh, like a laser beam into the Ed Edmonton market into building, you know, six and eight plexus because I think that that's the way of the future right now. There is such a need and such a demand for housing like Canada wide that if we continue on the tracks that we're on, we're going to be hundreds of thousands of, of homes short, like across the country and across the markets. So I've really honed in into Edmonton because I think that one, it's a landlord from the area. It's a great place to invest. You're, you're getting land for, you know, still reasonable prices. You're getting good rent. You have good people that live there. There's industry that's coming. There's healthcare, there's technology, there's AI systems, there's gaming, there's manufacturing. There's just all of this stuff. All of the stars are aligning at the same time in Edmonton, I totally think that it's the place to be. Wow. And, and you know, I'm not trying to say this because I agree with everything you said, but, but uh, it, it's always nice to have somebody else with a different perspective from a different angle. And and part of the work we did, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, part of the work we did when we first started, I, I told you right off the bat, I have no attachment 
to where you invest. I, I have an attachment to why you pick an area. And I let you go for for better part of a couple weeks to go research across the country, research North America wide, research all the markets and do your own homework and do your own research. I gave you the framework to kind of to look at. And you came to your own conclusion about that, did you not? Yeah, that was probably one of the best exercises that I've ever done. Uh, so thank you for that because it was incredible. But I, yeah, I, I literally went coast to coast. And I not only looked at like CMHC data, I looked at like real estate data. I looked at um, migration. I looked at household income. I looked at average inflation. I looked at where people are moving. I looked at in migration, like the, in, the inward movement within Canada. I actually went into the States for a bit and I kind of plunked around there. And I landed on, in, on Edmonton for a host of reasons. And I showed you my spreadsheet with all of the green boxes and why it worked there because people are making more money, but costs of living is lower, but industry is coming and there's a huge economic advancement. And my favorite conversation to have with people is why not the USA? And I was, it, it's simple. It's like, when you look at most markets in the United States and you compare it against Edmonton, like it's virtually the same. And you're only having to deal with one government in one country versus two different structures. So yeah, I just think it's the best place. I, I I could talk about it for hours about why it's so great, but I'm trying to keep it short. Well, maybe that'll be our next conversation that we do book. Um, this has been one of it's 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 hard. I'm sitting there have to be very mindful of of the conversation. Like as deep as we went down a rabbit hole, it's hard to go. Well, let's now talk about analyzing properties and in migration. That that's a that's a hard pivot, is it not, my friend? Yeah, but it's an important, it's an important one. And and the, really the, the main thing is really is you've come out the other side of some incredible situations and just like anything you, anything in your life, you've, you've handled it, you've adapted to it, you've pivoted from it. And you've also come at, come at it from a standpoint is how does this serve the next wave of people, the next version of yourself and others that are going to come in contact with you. So yeah. I know that was just maybe me just yammering on there. There is a question. So, so the, the question for you is how I kind of end this off and, and we will schedule a second part to this conversation. Cause honestly, we just, we just scratched the surface. Um, Mitch is just the tip of the iceberg of where you're going with this. I see the progress. You're one of the, you're one of the fastest implementers. I know it's like you're, you're a coach's dream. It's just like, here's what you need to do. And it's just like, I, we, we have a conversation on Monday and by Wednesday, he's going, I'm done. <laughs> okay, well, here's, here's the next things you need to do. It'll take till a week if you, if you need it. it, goes by Friday. Okay, I'm done. So what now? <laughs> like, you're just, you're just instant implementation. So, okay. So the, the conversation I, wanna, I always end off with here is the following. Um, so if somebody's sitting here and they're listening to this and they just got, they got the chills, they got the, the, the goose, the goose flesh on their arms from listening to this story and they're maybe, they're maybe just feeling stuck and they're just not sure what the next step is for them. What advice would you give to that person if you're having a coffee at Starbucks with that person right now? Yeah. So if, if you're sitting and you're feeling stuck and you're kind of not too sure what the next thing to do is there's there's a few places to start and one is always kind of looking into yourself and really reflecting on what is it I want like what do I want my life to do with and one of the greatest exercises I think you can do is you ask you tell yourself you get a journal and you say somebody gave you 500 million dollars today what are you going to do like what are you going to do with your day right now you don't have to work a job but what are you going to do with your day and you kind of start brainstorming those ideas as to okay well these are the things that really resonate with me 
okay, now you take those few things and you start going down the rabbit hole of, well, what does that look like? What is that, you know, who's doing that? Who can I talk to in that area? How do I get more information about it? Um, and then the biggest thing that I think possibly you can do kind of once you've, you've started to go down the route of, I think I want to like, for example, I think I want to be a real estate investor. Awesome. Talk to some real estate investors, kind of get the, the ins and outs of, you know, what a day-to-day life looks like for them. And if it's something that speaks to you, let's do it. But the most important thing that I think people can do for themselves when they're starting off on new journeys is mentorship. Mentorship is the most important thing for a number of reasons. One, it clarifies, helps you clarify what you want. Two, you get to learn from their mistakes. Three, it's like being in a catapult where you get to get slung forward. I want to add four. You get to, to talk with somebody regularly about what's going on. They keep you motivated because you're going to go through highs and lows. But, and on those lows, they kind of remind you of these are the things that you have going for you. And you're like, yeah, you know what? Yeah, I'm right. And it's surrounding yourself with that community of like-minded people who want to go the same direction as you. And then just imp- start implementing. Just start taking one kind of step at a time. Oh, wow. Well, woo-wee. Hang on. It's getting hot here, brother. Woo-wee. <laughs> Uh, I said this at the beginning, Mitch, and I'm going to circle back and bookmark it or bookend it is you, you do have that, you have that gift. You have, a, you have the gift of the X factor. You have it. I don't know what it is. And I, I wish as a coach, I could just get a bottle or a pill or something and just sell. Here's it. Right. But, um, maybe, maybe as I get older, I think it's, it's mostly the process that people go through. Yeah. It is the story. It is the challenging. It is the overcoming it is the hard pivots it's the relocations it's all those challenging times that really bring out the it factor in people as well so okay so gang um that was just that was intense i'm, I'm almost sitting there going i go where do i i'm I, i'm usually a pretty good interviewer and i'm sitting there going i go to i don't know where do i pivot this conversation from here but but it was just so good mitch you over delivered you are a professional um, if somebody was, you know, touched and really inspired by your story here, where where does where can somebody get a hold of you? Where do you hang out these days? Maybe an email address. Uh, where would somebody get a hold of you if they wanted to reach out? Yeah, so the most direct way would be email. So that's Mitch at elevationequity.pro. Um, the other two would be my socials, Facebook and Instagram, which is at Mitch Hardington, REI. Um, and if you know, you just kind of interested about a little bit more about my story, kind of what we do. I've got a little bit of information on our website, which is elevationequity.pro. But um, I am my brand, like I am Elevation Equity. So, uh, you know, stop by my Facebook, Instagram, send, send me a message or an email, and I'm more than happy to connect with people because yeah, I love I, to share my story. I don't know if I ever mentioned it. How the heck did you, I didn't know there was such a thing as a dot .pro extension on things now. What a, yeah, what dot a, .professional. Yeah, that's, I think that's fantastic, to be honest, guys. I think it's something you should take a look at yourself. If you haven't registered your domain name, you know, .com is the most important one, obviously, um, I think. But who knows, right? .pro is pretty cool, too, right? It is. So, all right. Well, with that being said, I think that's a fantastic place to, to end off. We're just getting started here with the story of Mitch, and you're going to hear an awful lot more of this young man going forward. Are, are you down for another episode or two down the, down the road, my friend? Oh, absolutely. I'd love to do it. Okay. Well, with all that being said, gang, make sure you share the show. Make sure you pass along this information. If you are touched in any way, shape, or form, or inspired, or encouraged, please just share the show. And until the next one, bye for now, everybody. Whew. Huh.
<laughs> was an episode, wasn't it? What did you what did you take away from it? I, I was sitting there and I was listening to it again, and I honestly, um, I still was. It still impacted me even after listening to it a second time. And um, it was intense. It truly was. I I could honestly feel myself getting in. I could feel myself just just starting to uh, to clench up during that time. And and Mitch did such a wonderful job of of explaining it and sharing in detail about what happened. But he also did a fantastic job of not um, not being a victim. He's he's become a victor of this situation, and he has taken this situation that had has happened to him. Um, it still is, is causing some issues and some challenges from time to time, but he's using that as the fuel. He's using that as his stepping stone to his next thing. He used that to truly find out what he really wants to do in his calling in life. And I have a feeling you're going to be hearing a lot more from uh, from young Mitch on the on the on my podcast, but also on many other podcasts. He's just getting going. He really is. He's been he, he shared a story. He's been doing something within real estate for a long period of time, but he's really just kind of pivoting into this on a full-time, full-scale basis. And honest to goodness, the sky is the limit. Okay, gang, um, if you ever are interested in having a conversation, if you would like, um, you know, let me just back up a sec here. Beep, 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 beep. So <laughs> that's my, my sound effect for uh, back in the truck up here a bit. One of the things that I truly am blessed to do, one of the things that I truly have the opportunity to do is to help pour into people, pour into people that are seeking more, pour into people that are seeking greatness, pour into people that want to take things up to the next level, pour into people that aren't satisfied with the status quo and they want to elevate their game up to the next level. That is what I truly am blessed and honored to have the opportunity with many people on tr- every day. Every day I have the opportunity to have these conversations to help people take things up to the next level. So if you would like to have a uh, world-class coach, a world-class mentor, a world-class um, real estate investor on your side to help you take things up to the next level, I would be honored to have a conversation to see if there would be a fit. I do have some capacity right now for taking on uh, another client. And if you are interested in um, taking your game up to the next level, and you might not even know what that next level is, that is actually one of the gifts that I provide to my coaching clients is I help them see levels that they didn't even know existed. I help take people that are already performing at a very high level and turn them into unstoppable forces of nature. Now, I'm, st- I'm maybe being a little boastful here, but damn it, I'm good. I'm, I'm a very good coach. And I help people every single day to take things up to the next level. So if you're interested in ramping up your business as we head into 2024 and you believe a good coach alongside will help you take things up to the next level, I have some capacity. Please hit me up. You can send me an email at hello at russellwescott.com. We can book a conversation. Or if you go to my website, I have a link on there that we can book a consultation and I'd be honored to see if I can help you take things up to the next level. All right, gang, with that being said, remember, in every interaction you have with another person, always leave them feeling inspired, encouraged, and come from a place of love.
Bye for now, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Russell Westcott Podcast. Before you run off, could you do us one final favor? Wherever you're listening to this episode, we encourage you to leave a review, share with your friends, and subscribe so you can receive the latest episode to keep you feeling inspired and encouraged for the entire week. Visit www.russellwestcott.com for more information, support resources, and upcoming speaking engagements near you. Bye for now. Bye for now.